You know, Nick, I love being out here in the middle of nowhere with all these makers, but I can't wait to get home and catch up with all the TV shows that I'm missing. What do you mean, like the good paste? Are we doing this? That's right. Do you watch Shellackish? I'm gonna watch it right after The Handmaid's Nail. Dancing with Mason Jars? Stranger Strings. Mm. My favorite show is Mad Pen. I'd make sure I DVR Will and Paste. Once you check out Saw and Order. See the last game of rhinestones? Glue's the boss. That wins. Glue is the boss. Glue's the boss. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 213 for the week of June 30th, 2018. I am Doodad Owl, David T. Cole, and I'm here with artisanal pool noodle, Sarah D. Bunting. <laughs> Shit floats. Hottest glue gun, Tar Ariano. Oh, I will burn you. And woven potholder, Linda Holmes. Bring me home from camp. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Extra Hot Great. Before we get into the meat of it, I have a little bit of site business up top. Number one, we are off next week. I have to travel back to Canada to collect all my stuff from the coal residence that's been sitting there. Uh, so I have to take a 24-hour drive there in my little car and then a 24-hour drive back in my little car. So uh, we're off next week because of that foolishness. Also, uh, as we were thinking about, do we have time to do an episode to fill that Spoiler alert, we don't. But moving forward, when this kind of thing happens, what we're going to do is we're going to fill these empty spots with sort of mega mini episodes, an episode that is a collection of mini topics and other assorted foolishness. So if you have any extra credits that you have been waiting to submit uh, until we figured our shit out, we have figured our shit out. So get on that form. Let us know what your mini topics are. We'll probably also do a Twitter call for some more mini topics just so we have them banked. So look out for that. And I am done side business. Outstanding. Uh, now I will take over with podcast business. Namely, first of all, our guest, the great Linda Holmes of Pop Culture Happy Hour. Hello, Linda. Linda. Hi, Sarah. Yay! And Aww, speaking of things that are crafted with care and contain competition, much like this podcast, today we are talking about Making It, uh, the Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman hosted craft competition show, which airs on Tuesdays. Correct. The first episode at, has aired as you're listening to this. Uh, yes. On NBC at some, I assume, family friendly hour. Uh, I was tapped to introduce this segment because I am the craftiest among us. Um, my crafting involves much more swearing than you will hear on the show um, <laughs> and tends to be um, confined to the knitted and homemade jewelry arts. But uh, this show is a pretty standard competition format. They start with a like flash challenge in the beginning and then a larger elimination challenge at the end, involving all kinds of uh, crafts and ideas, uh, woodworking, felt, paper um, craft, paper craft, uh, paper mache. They, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> other mache. There is some sewing. They're like bath items involved sometimes <laughs> um i had high hopes for this 
like irrespective of the hosts, but I did have high hopes for this because I was like, uh, you know, I like to watch other people do this stuff and then get ideas and learn from it. But it's not really for me in that regard. So I'm going to throw it to the panel to ask, uh, do you do you like the show? Are you going to keep watching the show? And do you think it does a good job of of uh, showing the work? Uh, Linda, Tara. as our guest, you should go first. Uh, so I am somewhat crafty. I have knitted. A, I have knitted a hat, you know, here and there. Um, <laughs> And uh, have have uh, played around with various other crafts. I've done a little bit of cross stitching and such things. Um, I do think that because they all do different kinds of crafting and because the challenges are not very specific, um, it can be hard to compare from one thing to another and also hard for them to talk very much about technique. And to me, the most obvious precursor to this is uh, the Great British Bake Off. Um, yeah. It's even, I think, even down to like the way that the, um, <clears throat> I think even down to the layout of the room and the fact uh -huh. that, you know, that takes place in a big tent. This takes place in a big barn. It's like everything's an outbuilding. Um, so I think that's the model. And the thing about Bake Off is particularly in the middle challenge, the technical challenge, you really get a lot of kind of hard information about exactly how you keep, uh, you know, cakes from falling or you know, what kind of a mark on a loaf of bread means it wasn't risen properly. And I, I like all that nerd stuff. They don't Same. get very, they don't get very deeply into that stuff here because mostly you get judgings that are like, uh, is it original or not original? And is it neat or messy? That's kind of how they judge. Um, so it doesn't have as much information as I wish it did, but it does have a lot of Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. And I think that's the reason to watch it. That is definitely what sets it apart. I will say that now that you've placed the technical challenge in my mind, like that would have worked really well here to fill in that gap, especially since like a, so much of it would be what crafters do on the internet, which is discover something they like and then spend crafty time trying to backwards engineer it. And that would yeah. also mm -hmm. make like a great yes, challenge. Exactly. And that would really fill in the gap. Cause I was sort of like in the same boat. I was watching it and you know, I, don't have time or the inclination or the hand-to-eye dexterity to do crafts. I appreciate them and those who make them and those who sell them for reasonable prices on Etsy. I don't either, but it hasn't stopped <laughs> me. Continue. <laughs> but I would enjoy sort of, you know, that backwards engineering, figuring out how they do it. And it wouldn't have to be a very involved craft or take a lot of time from the show. Um, that would have been a great addition to this because it, it is an enjoyable watch for me amy and nick are really comfortable with each other although i will say some of the stuff they do really hits showcases their wit and quick minds other stuff feels like it was a lazy first take some of the stuff they were saying to each other mm -hmm, and some of the mm -hmm. bumpers and throwaways there, like yeah there's too much of it too in my opinion yeah but uh, there's only so much amy polar can get away with with i don't know what they're doing you know shtick yeah. especially when you're like the fifth episode in before yeah. you're like hmm i bet you would have learned something by now miss bowler but uh overall like they are a really strong duo like in the they have these pun offs one of which you heard um at the start of this episode those are really enjoyable but i kind of wish that maybe they prepped more i'm not sure <laughs> Yeah, the other thing that's that's similar to Great British Bake Off and which they don't 
they aren't particularly transparent about is that clearly they are getting these challenges in advance because the the mastercraft is very involved and as soon as it's announced they immediately like have all of their materials already so whether they which is also true of bake off like they know what they're making in advance and they get to practice at home like i'm not saying that these people have necessarily had the time to build all this stuff but i think they've been given the briefs ahead of time and the fact that that's not called out is sort of it's a little fishy to me but i, I mean i didn't necessarily mind that they're all working in their various um, media. I thought it was neat to sort of compare apples and oranges, but I agree with Linda that the problem is the judging, which is like fucking Etsy lady, Dana, whoever, Ugh, every yeah. time, like I've seen this a thousand times on Etsy, like everything's on Etsy. That doesn't tell us anything. Like <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I think that I think my car is on Etsy in felt form, which <laughs> fine. Uh, yeah. Here's here was my issue. I it also reminded me, it does, it does remind me of Great British Bake Off, but it also reminded me, and not necessarily in a good way, of a couple of shows that, uh, out of the uh, Bravo Design Studio that I really mm-hmm. wanted to like, but ba- but because of what they were about, did not work as structured. And top I'm talking design. about top design and work of art, the, the late great work oh, of God. art, um, that the genre does not necessarily lend itself to a yeah. flash challenge like this is is a so it might be better served with like a longitudinal season. If you want to do the occasional elimination, that's fine. But if you're really designing something like crafts take time, people yeah. have jobs and they're not good at like I'm oh, I'm OK at Needlecraft, and I can do some things with, like, electrical wire, turning them into bracelets, but if you're involving plywood, I gotta, like, call Dobbs Ferry and get my brother involved. So, these things, I think you need more time, uh, or a longer episode. Or just a really good editor who can take something where people have a day to build something, they usually take a day to build, and just reduce it down to you know, five minutes of TV. That's what editors are for. Like there is no real world reason why you would have to force a crafter to make something in an hour. Like, you know, like, Oh my God, the queen's coming and we forgot to make the, (laughs) the thing is there are, there are reasons people who have children look around on October 29th and are like, well, shit, like (laughs) how am I supposed to make this? Yeah. But those kids are wearing the the plastic Spider-Man masks that cut their skin. Like they're not sometimes, but I would rather watch like also, so that they did it more like the Bake Off where it's like a more thematic week every yeah. time. So week two is like, all right, they get the, they do get everything ahead of time. And it's like, if y'all, uh, you know, if Boston guy who is really not with the more home ecky ends of this, you better learn to bead something because that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to go back for a second to the, the judges who are the, the trend expert from Etsy, which is a like fake sounding resume item, if ever uh, there was one. Um, and then Simon Doonan, who's been around forever. He's a fashion guy. He's a they call him like a brand ambassador for Barney's or something like that, or creative ambassador for Barney's or some, you know, they both have kind of weird titles. And I I think the thing about Bake Off, and this is true of say Top Chef also, I, I think Whatever you think of whether you like the judges' personalities or whatever, they don't lack authority. And I think if you're looking at Bake Off, 
Like you can like those people or not like those people, but I believe they can bake a pie. And I believe that they can bake a pie better than any of the people in the competition, probably. And so they're very specific about their critiques. This is also, by the way, why Ben Foles was a really good judge on the sing-off. They're very specific in their critiques. This will make your crumb more delicate, all that stuff. Right. Um, These guys are sort of, like I said, it's very spongy criticism. It's very like, you know, Simon Doonan will look at something that I think is really cool uh, because it's, it's, you know, they ask people to make like a, a backyard display and a woman makes a thing with like these swings and the guy's like, well, but nobody has any place to hang these up. And I'm like, I don't think that was the question. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think, <laughs> yeah. I, Those I don't think the don't question was it. exactly. It's like the, the point is not, it's, you're not going to look at top chef and say, uh, I don't think a home cook can necessarily get duck breast very easily or get this ingredient. <laughs> it's like, that's not the point. Yeah. And so they never seem to know what exactly they're supposed to be critiquing. And so I yeah. think the judging lacks authority and specificity, and that makes it a weaker competition. But I do think, as with, say, Bake Off, they get a ton of their juice from the chemistry between the hosts. Not so much the chemistry between the judges, but between the hosts. Yeah, yeah it, it is a little hard to invest for me in this show when the judging, first of all, seems to have a thumb on the scale for a particular contestant who I whose aesthetic is not mine. And also, that aside, does not tend to line up with my taste or make uh-huh. sense, even I'm within sorry, do, a do single you have something challenge. Against, do you have something against the idea of a geodesic dome? Or <laughs> Oh, no. It, it wasn't the dome. Oh, it wasn't the dome. <laughs> Tara might have had a problem with the dome. No, I thought the dome. No, not this dome. Domer. Domer. I, I liked the dome. No, I'm talking about uh, Joe. I don't. Yep. They seem to really love her. I don't get it. That's all. Yeah, that's Which that's all we Joe? can say without getting spoiled. One of the blondes. Oh, She's one the one the from. Blondes. She has an interior design business in Ohio with her. Oh, is she the one who built the? Is she the one who built the butterfly? No, no. She's the that one that was the other blonde. Did the, the leprechaun door? That was the other one. <laughs> yeah. This is the other problem. I have not learned who the contestants are, and that's a problem because I watched several episodes. Before we get off the judges, um, I just yeah. want to say that you know one of the problems with the uh, Etsy trend spotter is that that is almost more like a marketing role and mm-hmm. boy that's dangerous to make a marketer a judge yeah uh yeah. yes and <laughs> the other judge i'm sorry what's his name noonan simon doonan um Dunan. you know he was his thing was he was the barney window uh decorator so yeah. i mean he falls a little bit more into it and I'm sort of torn here because my problem sometimes with these shows is that they'll bring in a judge, a guest judge. And then sometimes that throws the equilibrium of how the contestants are crafting their projects, you know, because, you know, you don't know, you know, if you're going to just make it or break it on the whim of a guest judge who, like, I hate yellow or I love yellow. And then the, yeah. you're like, you're done. <laughs> right. yeah. But I feel like this show actually deserves a guest judge that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're decorating, say like in a couple episodes from the ones that you guys watch this week, they're decorating front doors for holidays. Um, you know, why not get somebody that is sort of like in that field or if they're doing, uh, terrariums, you know, get a terrarium specialist in there. Um, that would be amazing because like these two judges lack expertise in a lot of things and they're very, you know, uh, 
focused on what they do in their nine to five job. Right. The other thing. So one sorry. example, sorry, just as an example is terrarium first episode or second episode. I think a second, uh, right? second, I think. So there's, second, there's a contestant who does a very good job doing a, it's like a hometown terrarium contest and I won't give away any spoilers, but this guy does something that uh, is, you know, a little unusual setting for, uh, for a terrarium thing. It's sort of like uh, uh, abandoned places sort of thing. And it's very cool. And then, uh, the Barney's guy just comes and says, well, that is just dark and spooky. And it just seemed like he didn't like it because it wasn't yeah. like super fun and happy, but like, it was like probably the like most unique conceptual design. It just got poo-pooed mm-hmm. because it wasn't, you know, didn't have hearts and shit all over it. So and it wasn't yeah, this... his aesthetic, but like, it's your aesthetic. Cause you right. do a lot of that in your photography and you can see a, a kind of a link between those two things. But that's either your aesthetic or it's not. Yeah. Well, this is the problem, too. And it's the same thing that Sarah and I are always complaining about with Runway, which is that the briefs are not like they'll get dinged after the fact for stuff that's not in the brief. And this that yes. example, the terrarium example is a great one where it's just like, well, this just isn't your taste, but you're not reacting to this in, in terms of like, it, even if it's not what you would necessarily want to put in your own house or highlight on right. the front page of fucking Etsy. That, well, like, can you specific... look at it and say, is it well executed? Is the, is it well crafted? Is it well done? You know, yeah. like did, did, is it exactly. successful on these grounds versus yeah, pa- Pablo? I know you spent a lot of time on this and it looks really great, but this Guernica thing is just kind of, kind of a downer. <laughs> so, <laughs> Have you thought of making this figure more smiley? And that's the thing. There could there was a specific suggestion about that specific terrarium that could have been made. Yeah. That his objection was like, I feel like these teeny figurines are going to jump. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, ask him to move the figurines or repaint them so it's clearer that they're taking pictures. Like, you, right. You know? But yes, yeah. we do complain about that all the time. And that, you know, this is the problem with doing something like this that is going to be subjective. By, yeah, or by definition, very um, general. Yeah. That the, this is like a ton of generalist skills that cover a, a ton of different crafts. Like it's every aisle of Joanne or Michael's. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not really how <laughs> crafting like exists in the world. But right. it's like, if you want to sell this to a big three network, this is how you have to pitch it. And it's like, I hope, like, I think there's something there, but I Mm -hmm. kind of want it to move to like, I don't know, DIY or something like that, where they can get very granular because that's, that's a big part of why I'm watching. I like the hosts, but it's, you know. I I don't know the need to move it. I mean, I think Great British Bake Off, which is a major network show, has it both ways. Like it does a great job walking that line between entertainment and education. You're right. Yeah, it's yeah. just a matter of, I think they need to tweak the formula. And I think a big part of it would be Linda's suggestion right at the top. Like, let's get some yep. technical challenges in there and really, yeah. like, get them out of their comfort zone and, and see if they can see how genuinely crafty they are in a very holistic sense. You know, like, can they? Right. But yeah. I, I would say that would require you to, ca- to cast all people that work in a p- particular medium. But I think that makes a better show. Like, it, it, you know, as much as I enjoyed the 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 differences between what they were doing you know, if you if that's what you want to get down to to actually test what people can do in their area of expertise, that would that would be what it would require. I feel like, which would be fine. Or, or I mean, like even if it's not like an elimination challenge, like just say for the sake of argument, week one the technical challenge is woodworking. 
you pull off the dedicated right. woodworker and you make him the helper monkey for everybody else. Like yeah, he gives advice, true. he runs around. Like oh, it yeah. doesn't need to be Smart. like you have given this person uh, an advantage and therefore they, they're going to have an easy, you're going to have a bye week, you know, like it, yeah, there's yeah, ways yeah. of, of tweaking the formula to avoid that true. kind of thing. And you know, we've all watched enough reality TV to know that when it's in their wheelhouse, they end up in the bottom three. So that's sure. true. That's Linda, true. what were Sorry. you going to say before? Well, what I was going to say was just, I think that you have sort of hit upon a, a fundamental conflict in the way the show is made, which is that on the one hand, one of its strengths is the thing that Tara was talking about, which is the comparing apples to oranges. And I really like that too. But the problem is that's not really consistent with making it a competition. And yeah. I think the I think if you're going to do it as the sort of apples to oranges, then you do exactly what Dave's talking about, which is you do a woodworking week and you take the woodworking guy out and you have that person go around and help everybody else learn woodworking. And then you do get that technique stuff, but yeah. it doesn't really lend itself necessarily to competition as well. Um, and then you still would wind up kind of with a bunch of semi-good woodworking from people who don't specialize in that, which isn't necessarily what people want to see. So I think the desire to showcase a lot of different kinds of crafts collides a little bit with the desire to have it be, you know, both a competition and kind of uh, nerdy in that way where you get a lot of specific information about how to be good at something. Kind of yeah. like the clash between uh, them constantly saying the prize money isn't a big deal, but then mentioning the prize money. Right. Yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> well, I'll also say that the advance word on this when when the screeners first went up and critics were tweeting about it and stuff was that, you know, and what Amy Poehler has said in the in doing press in the run up to the premiere is that it's the idea of this is supposed to be it's feel good TV. And it is. Absolutely. It's very yeah. pleasurable to watch. Like for all of our nitpicking, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Do. Like it's it's still fun to watch. Like it's in the way the Project Runway or Face Off or the Jim Henson show that only lasted one season were Aww. all sort of fun to watch. It's it's interesting to see people who are good at things do them well. You know, yes, like that's absolutely. good to each other as well. Yes. Like it doesn't turn into this like Master Chef, you know, right. Thunderdome yes. situation, which is another big part of what makes Great British Bake Off great is that the yeah. drama is in the task yeah i wish people. we could have seen more intercrafter uh interaction there wasn't a lot of that i would have liked to see more of that too. I, I, yeah i i find it really as you say it's really fun to watch i will absolutely watch all of it it's just you know i only get this as tara was saying this granular with with ones like this that i think are good because right. then you say well oh well what would make this even like a more perfect example of itself right um but i did find it really fun and like who's gonna fight with with Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler goofing around and making <laughs> making puns at each other. That's good stuff. Nick yeah, Offerman. We didn't try this hard to fix Patrick is... Melrose because we hated it. <laughs> oh my god, that Nick Offerman laugh. Talk, Dave. Oh my god, it, it is like top ten celebrity giggles. It is. It is infectious. Um, it is genuine. You know, like you 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 can tell when he's really tickled by something. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, something that's funny, or there's like meat and cheese somewhere, and then he yeah. like he just sort of like he lights up. <laughs> And he's sort of like there's Nick Offerman, the actor, and there's Nick Offerman on stage. And that's yeah, that's, that was a fun, <laughs> fun revelation. Giggle, my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's sexy. Yeah. There's a moment where he's pretending to be a kid hiding behind something while he poops. That it's is very, pooping. very oh, good. Oh, God. Dying. <laughs> Are you pooping? <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's one of those. It's exactly like um, uh, it's like Seth Rogen's laugh in yes. that only in that. When you hear him laugh in character, you think, oh, that's a really funny character beat. And then you're like, oh, no, that's his real laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good.
you yeah, know, no, I had, will keep we had, watching. We had it. issues, but we liked it. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I, sure. I think actually, you know, like it is a strong show, but it actually makes me really appreciate how good of a show British Bake Off is. Yeah, yeah. British Bake Off. I feel like that's true of most shows. Mm. <laughs> Time to go around the dial talking about something we've been watching lately. First up, Tara. I finally treated myself to Queer Eye Season 2. What a delight. Um, this season is already an improvement over Season 1 in that there are not as many moments of straight Georgians having to tell these five gay guys that they are not subhuman, which I did not enjoy as much about Season 1. <laughs> Uh, the first episode does have a religious element, but it's because the the person they're making over is d- doing it to, like, come out to his community. And so that was, like, he comes from a churchy family, and there's a whole church thing, and that was very touching and sweet. Um, they also uh, make over a trans person who has just had top surgery, and that was uh, really interesting to me just because... <laughs> Holy shit, the astronomical costs. I won't get into my whole pinko rant about this, but wow, this country is going down the toilet. This poor person <laughs> having to deal with a one hundred to two hundred thousand dollars worth of medical bills just to affirm his identity is gross and everyone should be appalled by that. Um they the other problem with the show, to be slightly pinko, is that a lot of it tends to revolve around consumption sometimes, but I feel like they're soft pedaling that in season two as well. And sort of emphasizing, like, it's not it's not about going to get facials all the time. It's not that you need to buy these particular things to outfit your home. And, you know, I would like to see more of that, especially in the decor, because that more than any other aspect of the makeover process is very much like, and, you know, you see two scenes of painting and then all of a sudden it's like a brand new house from top to bottom. <laughs> like, obviously tens of thousands of dollars have gone into that aspect of the makeover. And, you know, it would be nice to see more of Bobby explaining, like you don't necessarily need to spend a lot of money to have good taste. And there's one episode where a guy is about to leave Atlanta because he wants to move to Reno to be closer to burning man full time. Spoiler. He decides by the end of the episode to not do that, which is great. Yay. But, um, but he also, when they go into his house, he has all these like, you know, our antiques and artifacts and stuff that he's collected. And so I would have liked that they incorporate into the redesign of his, of his house. And so I would have liked to see more of a discussion of like, you can do high and low, you can, you know, having a good taste and decor doesn't necessarily require spending a lot of money and get cool stuff at target, blah, blah, blah. Um, the uh, funniest moment is when one guy that they're giving a makeover to, they ask him who he thinks is a really stylish guy. And he says, Frasier and tan like recedes into the clothes in the closet, like Homer into the hedge. <laughs> really funny. Um, it's just, it's, it's a sweet show. It's fun to watch. Uh, you know, there's, there's stuff to critique of course, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very like making it, it's very affirming and sweet and everyone's heart is in the right place. And, at the end, people look nice and they feel good and that's important. Oh, I will say there was one episode about a guy named Ariane who was like a very recent college graduate asterisk because it turns out he didn't actually graduate. He found out right after his uh, he had walked at convocation that he still had a class he had to repeat because he failed it. And so when they meet him, he's like his his roommate has turned him in because he's like gross and just sits on the couch all the time and keeps losing jobs because he's trifling. 
and they hate him. Like, it's obvious they can't stand this guy. <laughs> like, he starts lying to them the second they walk in. Like, they know about this graduation story, and he lies about that. He lies about whether he has a job and when he started it and what he's doing and stuff. And they basically, like, have to break him down until he can, you know, tell his mother this whole shame on camera so that she doesn't beat his ass. But uh, that was one of the better episodes because it was clear how much contempt they had for him and he deserved it. He was terrible. So uh, Queer Eye season two, it's only eight episodes. Um, you might want to savor them because it's only eight, but yes, it's super fun and lovely show. And for my plug, uh, two things on Vulture. I just finished uh, season one of Dietland, uh, kind of an uneven, weird season. The show has not been renewed yet as of this recording, um, and I don't know if it needs to be shrug. It was a very strange, all over the map, ideologically. Interesting experiment, maybe not a total success. And I've also been recapping speaking of experiments that are not a total success. Orange is the New Black, um, always very uh, patchy. And season six is no exception, but you can find both of those at Vulture. Linda Holmes. So uh, if you find the Great British Baking Show a little too hard hitting um, <laughs> or other baking shows, similarly, a little too hard hitting, your, uh, your spring baking sh- championship, your, uh, your uh, world's greatest baker or whatever they may call it, uh, your ridiculous cakes. Uh, what you need to do is you need to have a baking show. You need to watch a baking show, except with children. So uh, one of the things that I very much enjoy is uh, Kids Baking Championship, which is on Food Network. It's coming back for its fifth season on uh, August 6th. That's uh, this coming up Monday as you are listening to this. And um, Kids Baking Championship is something that I cannot really defend and yet very much love. Uh, They have a tendency to have in each season at least one kind of fresh-faced, funny, little, weird girl who I fall in love with, uh, often often pigtailed or something of that nature. Um, If you like MasterChef Junior, but you find it difficult to believe that kids really care about salmon, you might find it easier to believe (laughs) that they really care about cookies. Um, So they'll make donuts, they'll make cookies, they'll make cakes. uh, And although I might not believe that that a kid cares about a perfectly executed blanched green bean, I do believe (laughs) that a kid cares about being able to produce a perfect uh, cupcake. And so you wind up with kids who are, um, you know, they ha- they do a pretty good job of presenting a diverse bunch of kids who uh, sort of have a lot of different kind of personalities and presentations. It doesn't have the same tendency as MasterChef Junior to feature one loud, arrogant boy who dominates everyone all season, <laughs> which I never find entertaining. Um, so Kids Baking Championship, uh, you can find on demand if you're if you're interested on in catching up on the the past legacy of kids baking championship, or uh, you can watch it uh, starting on August 6th. They've got a new season coming out. uh, As I said, Uh, that one and uh, the great food truck race are my two, um, uh, the opposite of below deck Mediterranean shows (laughs) where they're both, uh, they're all, uh, shows that I watch to have a particular kind of day, but Below Deck Mediterranean is what I watch on Bravo if I want to have a day of trash. <laughs> Kids Baking Championship and uh, Great Food Truck Race are what I watch if I want to have a day of uh, of nice, good feeling. I don't know what the Great Food Truck Race is. I don't want you to tell me. I just want this show to live in my mind forever. 
you designed a food truck, you have the concept, you have the menu, you have the graphics, you have the marketing, you get it from plan, you execute it, you get it on the road, and then they get five others and you have a race and you try to serve food as you're actually racing in a city. That's the show, please. And your pace car is driven by Burt Reynolds. Uh (laughs) I mean, I won't, I won't tell you, I won't tell you what it is, but the only thing I'll tell you about it is that, uh, my dear friend, Glenn Weldon of pop culture happy hour has said, uh, that it is after watching it has said it is a show about parking. Um, (laughs) which is somewhat true. So, uh, so leave it at that. And my plug, um, as we tape this, I am uh, out in LA at uh, TCA television critics association, summer press tour, learning all about the new TV for the fall. Sometimes I write about it and sometimes I just tweet about it. If you want to, uh, if you want to check that out, it's at Linda Holmes. You can find me on Twitter at Linda Holmes, but um, you can also, and Tara knows that this is true. I also faithfully hashtag those tweets with TCA uh, 18 so that Tara can mute them. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but it's a lot of fun and gradually very often over, over the, the course of press tour, I, I lose my mind and begin yeah. <laughs> uh, tweeting about fake made up television shows that I've invented in my head that don't exist. And uh, so it can be a great time. So feel free to follow me and enjoy um, my my long and glorious breakdown. What's the Twitter handle again? My Twitter handle is Linda Holmes. And we can also find you at Pop Culture Happy Hour, the podcast. That's exactly right. You sure can. Sarah D. Bunting. Okay, the Bleshley Circle, colon, San Francisco. Here's what. Uh, I was super excited to hear about the show, um, that it was getting a spinoff. And then I read Lucy Mangan's exasperated but fond takedown of it in The Guardian. I will link this in the show notes. Um, I should have probably known better than to subject myself to a flight to England to watch the damn thing after reading this review, but I did. And it is not good. Mm. The, out, the outfits and set decoration are still on point, but they might be the only thing to recommend uh, Bletchley Frisco. Um, and, you know, besides my girl, Julie Graham, who is always great. Uh, but if I'm being real, the original was not great either. It was a pleasure to look at and you sort of got sucked into it. The first season was okay. The second season, not so much. But the first season had that discovery thing going on for it. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they, they didn't have to strain quite so hard, mm. a la Num Three Years, to involve code breaking <laughs> in the mysteries when it first can, started out. For those who haven't watched, can you explain why they have to go to San Francisco or how that plays into it? Because I'm curious. Um, the first one they, being Bletchley Park adjacent series yes you know, um they when the uh spinoff begins most of the characters that we know are in london it's the mid 50s they're still in london but um and it's it's really only millie and joan who are left um as you know as far as i know there are some references made to the other ones but uh there's a flashback to uh the murder a murder that took place while they were at bletchley park for which they feel guilty for reasons and then for other reasons millie is reading a san francisco newspaper in london and uh discovers that there's been a similar murder in san francisco and that's why they go there how they get there is a bit much i mean the whole thing is just a bit much and 
once you read Mangan's characterization of Rachel Sterling's performance as Millie uh, to uh, or as quote Lear being pushed through a sieve, <laughs> you really you really can't unhear that in your mind. And there are some real dialogue groaners about Elvis Presley and French fries and other wink, wink. We know the 50s waterfront references that just bring the whole thing to a stop. Not to mention that, and this was a problem in the original, the writing can't decide whether to overexplain the process solving bits or rush through them at a just trust us pace that uh, leaves mm. process nerds unsatisfied. I don't remember who tipped me that this was coming back, and I do sincerely thank that person. I did have a few hours of delightful anticipation before it all, you know, kind of came crashing down. Um, you know what the problem is? Sorry. Uh, what is the problem? Well, it's the title. It should have been called the Bletchley Circle Colon Mission Colon Burrito. <laughs> I had more, but, uh, you know, let's just end it there. You're right. Well, that's, um, that's better than what I was going to say, which is uh, only going to make sense to Sarah, but that I that I, I thought Bletch, Bletchley Frisco was by far the best spy-themed General Hospital spinoff. <laughs> but only Sarah is going to be with me on that. And the, so and the, B, the B in WSB stands for burrito. <laughs> <laughs> the World Society of Burritos. Um so, look, I don't know when it's going to pop up here. And it's, again, it's not horrible, but it's not good. And I can't really recommend that you make time for it in this, the age of peak TV. Uh, I will ask if anyone has seen The Coroner and can recommend one way or the other whether I should watch it. Uh, it's a 2015 Brit Seagerald that is starting on PBS in a few weeks. And I'd love to know whether I ought to bother. Uh, and you can tweet your recs at me at Tomato Nation. My plug is for my music podcast with Mark Blankenship, cleverly called Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. Uh, this coming week, uh, tomorrow, as you're listening to this, we're going to have a uh, like quatrisode in which uh, Dan Rogie, Tracy Potoshnik, Mark and I consider the mid-80s vanity hits of Don Johnson and Bruce Bruno Willis. Not... <laughs> should, should I repeat it? Uh, Can't win. Yeah. <laughs> you you really can. Um, please check the show notes before listening so you can skip the Don Johnson clip because it's fucking painful. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Uh, so yes, you can uh, follow, you can subscribe to that podcast. That's Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Uh, anybody else besides Tara watching Trial and Error season two? Has anybody seen this? I keep hearing good things about it, but I haven't watched it. I've, yeah, I've seen an episode. It. I think, Linda, you might like half like it. And here's why. I think the the math is sort of like it. the base is a small town parks and recreation sort of setting. Yeah. But then they layer that on top of, as Tara was saying, when we were watching it, like a 30 rock elasticity to their universe. Okay. But also sort of like a Zucker, Abrams, like the guys who made Airplane and all that kind of stuff. So it's like... Parks and Rec, but dumber, and then, like, even dumber. Um, <laughs> There's a little Arrested Development to it as well. Yeah, it's got okay. that kind of vibe okay. to it. It's, it's it's the problem with the show, and I, I didn't watch the first season. You may remember the ads. Uh, this, that was the one with John Lithgow. Uh, season two, same town, a lot of the same characters. Um, the, was it Kristen Chenowitz? Is that how you pronounce yep. her name? Yeah. She yeah. is, yeah, she is sort of the... Um, uh, the one on trial, 
this season. She does a great job. She's crazy and manic, uh, as you would expect her in a comedy role. The problem with the show is it's always on. It's never off. There is music under bed throughout the whole show that's letting you know when uh, cartoony things are about to happen or are happening. The jokes are always up to 11. It's like, you know, Homer Simpson, why would I use anything but a star wipe syndrome? Like it doesn't <laughs> give you a chance to breathe and it doesn't give like arrest development would dip, you know, it had troughs and, and peaks to the flow, but this one is just like, they're really trying to like maintain a steady manic. Uh, oh, Futurama. There's an episode with Harold Zoid. He's an old uh, silent film director and he's directing, he gets another shot of the big time and he's directing everybody on the set. It's like you in the background, just don't talk, run around the background and wave your arms and blah, blah, blah. Like the show actually has something like that. Like have like a running yes. joke where people have to like <laughs> run up and down the street, waving their arms and let lady drivers go by. And it's just like, it's, it's a testament to like knowing when to pause, knowing comic timing and like letting the audience breathe so that the next joke can actually hit. It's funny. It has funny stuff, but it just could be so much better paced. The other problem with it is that it has a lot of Easter eggs for true crime fans. Like there's a moment in this season where uh, the defendant puts on a disguise and goes to a grocery store and steals a sandwich for no reason. <laughs> um, and then there's this the first season the the murder was apparently committed by an owl I gather from what they've <laughs> referred to so there's stuff like that cease that's for you Sarah but the problem Second is reference that like of the day yeah but <laughs> but the problem is like when American Vandal exists like do we need two yeah. mockumentaries true crime mockumentaries because American Vandal I'm just gonna say it is a perfect document yes, um, like is. trial and error is fi it's fine it's but it's way more slapsticky and less. I would say less smart in its dumbness and no dicks. So we're done here. Yeah, no dicks. <laughs> it's true. Uh, for my plug, I'll be driving from Austin to uh, <laughs> Niagara Falls. So if you see a Texas plated green uh, Honda hatchback along the way, you know, flag me down, buy me dinner. Thank you. music means it is time for the canon linda's presenting this week take it away linda all right uh so as you know if you know the long history of this uh podcast the last time i did the canon i submitted an episode of lois and clark the new Boy, adventures of superman and got it into the canon yep, i just want did. to point out uh this time i'm going with something a little more traditionally good um and I am submitting to the canon Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Season 5, Episode 12, Safe House. The short summary of what's happening in this episode is that a bad guy named Seamus Murphy is on the loose and he's after the squad. It looks like he might come after Captain Holt's husband, Kevin. So Kevin is sent to a safe house for a couple of months with only Jake to keep him company. Elsewhere, Rosa reluctantly goes undercover at a hair salon to get intel on a stylist's boyfriend, and Terry and Amy find out that Scully, the office weirdo, is a secret savant at reconstructing shredded paper. A good canon episode should be a really good example of a really good show, one that really parades its strengths in the street and buries its weaknesses in the backyard. And on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of the strengths is that it has not only a great regular cast, but a great recurring cast as well. That recurring cast, that backup squad, 
It has included Craig Robinson and Stephen Root and Kara Sedgwick and Bradley Whitford. But most importantly, it includes Mark Evan Jackson playing Captain Holt's husband, Kevin. Mark Evan Jackson is an indispensable supporting actor who you might also know from The Good Place, where he plays Sean, the boss demon. And when you've heard his divinely rich speaking voice, you can't be surprised that he was also a regular on the long-running podcast, The Thrilling Adventure Hour, where he played Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars. He also, by the way, sings the theme song. But he plays Kevin as a bone-dry academic who's very surprised at the beginning of this episode when the squad grabs him from his job and hustles him into a van. Waiting for him there is his husband, played by the great Andre Brower, and you get to hear their love language in our first little tiny clip. Hello, Kevin. It's me, Raymond Holt. We need to get you to safety. Your life is in danger. One of the reasons this is a great episode is that Brower and Jackson make this relationship so funny and specific, but also very loving and in a very particular way, deeply emotional. And when Holt, Kevin, and Jake Peralta make it to the safe house, Holt takes it upon himself to show the other two around and to explain to them just how important it is to keep Kevin safe at all costs, even if it means a belly crawl in this clip. This is the living room. No. Stop. You're entering the zone of visibility. Someone could see you through the windows. Why don't we just close the blinds? At midday? It's far too suspicious. Blinds will only be closed at night. If you must go into the living room, crawl on your belly. Observe. Seems a little extreme. You're right. It's extreme of me to try to prevent my husband from being shot in the face. I'm overdoing it. Kevin, come in here. Take your bullet. No, fine. We'll stay on our bellies. Thank you. Holt's overprotectiveness is totally consistent with the diligence he shows at work, but here that unrelenting attention to detail is how he shows his love for his husband. And Brower has mastered so many different Raymond Holt shadings. His behavior in the safe house is his velvet-voiced version of panic. Still, as much as I love Raymond Holt, once he leaves Jake and Kevin alone, the weird chemistry between Jackson and Andy Samberg kicks in, and that's great, too. The episode starts building its main running gag when Jake tells Kevin about the entertainment he brought. Jackson is so good in this exchange, even though he has no punchlines. Just listen to the way he says the words, describe them in this clip. Okay, we can't stream anything, but I brought my DVD collection. Do you like Nick Cage movies? I don't know who that is. Only the greatest and most compelling actor of all time. What are his movies like? Describe them. Okay, well, one of them is the FBI has developed face-swapping technology. Not interested. There's a whole plane full of convicts. Nope. On the back of the original Declaration of Independence, there's a hidden treasure map. Stop. But that's the smartest one! This is also a very good mode for Samberg as Jake. He's not too smarmy and he's not too manic. He really wants to befriend Kevin and he really wants Kevin to like Nick Cage movies. It's one of the show's smartest adjustments over time that Jake isn't a smug bro. He's a pleaser and he doesn't want to please anyone as much as he wants to please Holt and by extension Holt's husband. But this isn't a bottle episode. You do check in with the squad. Both the idea of sending gravel-voiced Rosa undercover as a big-haired salon customer and the idea of inspecting the paper shreds start about a third of the way through the episode. And at first, they're both really just those premises. Rosa's got to sweat a stylist, and Amy wants to tape together a literal room full of recovered paper shreds. But it turns out that the first effort to catch the bad guy fails, so Jake and Kevin are stuck together for a while longer, and by now they know each other pretty well. 
You can tell from the way they respond when Holt doubles down on their safety slash imprisonment that the housemates know a lot about each other at this time. And again, listen to how funny Jackson is just repeating the word no in a bunch of different tones in this clip. According to organized crime, Murphy has gone to ground and there are no leads. Oh, that's great. If he's on the run, he probably won't be worrying about Kevin. And if you coach yourself in chum and swim with sharks, you probably won't be eaten, said the half-eaten chum-covered swimmer. While Murphy is at large, he's still a threat. So I'm going to be stuck here forever following these over-the-top security precautions? No. Thank God. The security procedures are about to become much more over-the-top. Say goodbye to your one hour of open window time. But, sir, the stench. It needs some way to escape. I already feel as though I'm trapped inside of... What are those things you're always eating? Pizza bagels? No. Pizza rolls? No. Pizza poppers? No. Pizza Ritos? No. Pizza pockets? That's it. <laughs> One of the problems with presenting a show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine in a podcast is that you do miss a lot of visuals. And I want to mention that several times, including shortly after that clip, you see various characters leave a conversation in the safe house by yep. belly crawling out of the room. And when Mark Evan Jackson does it, he just pulls himself along on his elbows, dragging his legs like the back half of a dead body. He's like storming off on his elbows. Okay, please continue. As the weeks and months pass and Jake and Kevin are still stuck, Jackson gets to do a different kind of physical comedy when he surprises Jake during a safety lecture. The idea is that they're going to leave the safe house and go to the library in disguise just so Kevin can do a little work and feel briefly human, even though the captain told them not to. Be advised that the sound you hear in this clip is Kevin popping Jake right in the Adam's apple. Okay, Captain Holt has back-to-back meetings at one police plaza today, which means we have a four-hour window before he checks any of the security feeds. But going out into public is a huge risk, so maybe let's go over some self-defense techniques. (gasps) Usually you warn somebody before you do that. Raymond told me that the element of surprise was crucial. Cool. So he's a great teacher. But I will say this. If you're going to do a throat punch, it is key that you say something cool afterwards, like, choke on that. Right, but they're not choking. They're experiencing airway trauma. Ooh, how about... Better get some corticosteroids to treat that laryngeal fracture. Okay, yeah, that's very informative and quite polite. But maybe add a dirt bag on the end? But a dirt bag is a useful part of a vacuum. I don't see how it's an insult. All right, you know, puncher's choice. (laughs) So off to the library. But Kevin, who has spent the episode saying surprisingly little, starts to lose it after Holt catches Jake and Kevin at the library, disguised as creepy perverts looking at porn, and berates Jake for putting Kevin at risk in this clip. You could have cost him his life. What life? I spend every day lying on the floor of that house talking with Jake about popular culture. Do you know what it means to clap back, Raymond? Because I do. Enough. We have to get back to the safe house immediately. Let's go. And if you're going to be a pervert, Kevin, adjust yourself as you walk. Move some quarters around in your pocket. (laughs) Again, you can't see Jackson's version of a clapback through your podcast app, but suffice it to say that it might be the most daintily frustrated four-clap sequence ever committed to film. Now, when we started talking about this episode, I said I think it's important that a canon episode bury a show's weaknesses. One of the things I think Brooklyn, like most shows, sometimes misses the boat on is not knowing the difference between a bit and a subplot. A thing that's just a quick and funny idea should not become a B-plot that drags itself through a whole episode. The bit where Rosa is undercover at the salon with Gina acting as her Cyrano talking into her earpiece from a nearby van is just an excuse to hear Chelsea Peretti and Stephanie Beatrice put on silly voices and to show Beatrice in an increasingly set increasingly ridiculous set of wigs. So it's good that these scenes last only long enough to get those points across. In this clip, Rosa sees what she looks like after submitting to both a big hair styling and a blonde dye job in order to keep the stylist talking. 
You're all done here, gorgeous. Ah! <laughs> I love it! <laughs> uh, uh, but finish what you were saying. Uh, where did boyfriend run off to? Uh, that's the story for next time. Rosa, we're so close. You can't leave. Tell her you want a perm. I want a perm. <laughs> a big old perm. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> In that clip, you also heard Joe Latrulio as Charles, another cop in the squad who's hiding in that van to help Rosa. Charles, for me, is best served in small doses. And elsewhere, the shredding story winds up with a similarly breezy and brief joke when it turns out that Scully is a genius at putting shredded paper back together. So another reason to vote for this episode is that it keeps the seasoning on the side rather than trying to build a whole meal around it. The meal, after all, is still Jake and Kevin and Captain Holt. They're eventually spotted by a henchman of some sort, and while Jake and Kevin get away, the guy nabs Holt and takes him to a warehouse. Jake unsuccessfully tries to rescue Holt, only to be caught himself. And just when the two think they're done for, Kevin comes crashing through the wall in the car in this clip. You're both going to die now. Better get some corticosteroids to treat that laryngeal fracture. Sorry, I couldn't bring myself to call him a dirt bag. And why would you? A dirt bag is a very useful part of the vacuum cleaner. Clearly, it's a compliment. Oh, you guys are so perfect for each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, obviously that was a throat punch Kevin gave the bad guy. With the bad guy caught, there's only one more thing to do, and that's for Brooklyn to do the single thing it probably does best, which is to pay off running jokes. Here at the squad, when all the excitement is over, Kevin learns some new information in this clip. I uh, brought you your box of DDEs. Oh, thank you. Oh, forgot about this one. We never watched Captain Corelli's Mandolin. What the hell did you just say? <laughs> Captain Corelli's Mandolin? Say that to my face. <laughs> Captain Corelli's Mandolin? There was a movie about a mandolin and you kept it from me for two months? Well, I didn't think it was any good. It's just some period piece. What? Set in Greece. Oh, my God. Based on some dumb book. <laughs> Terribly sorry. It has been a very trying time. Yeah, next thing you're going to say, you wish we had watched Leaving Las Vegas, a dark, ponderous reflection on alcoholism that earned Cage's Oscar. Oh! <laughs> I told you, the guy's got range. (laughs) If it's not enough that this episode ends with a Captain Corelli's mandolin joke, (laughs) I would submit that there are five main reasons this is a canon episode. First, it focuses on the relationship between Holt and Jake, which is usually where the show is strongest. Second, it shows off an absolutely stellar performance from Jackson, who's not even in the credits cast. Third, it has a couple of great examples of how to build running jokes into shows, even if they're as dopey as the entire filmography of Nick Cage. Fourth, it doesn't go off wandering into pointless subplots, but still gives the rest of the cast funny business to do while they're not the focus. And fifth, it has Andre Brower in it being very silly, but also very effective as a man who really loves his husband. So that's why I would put it in the canon. I'll go first and start with my two nitpicks. One is that why couldn't if we see people coming to the house all the time. Why couldn't someone bring them other movies? That is torture. <laughs> and sub sub nitpick on that. Why didn't they mention adaptation, which I think of all the Nick Nicholas Cage movies is the one Kevin would enjoy the most. Um, also with the shreds, I agree with you that that enough time is spent on that. But like I have a crosscut shredder. At, beside my desk like the strips are not how things are shredded anymore um but that was cute for the sake of the for the of the gag T- to your your point about the other subplot with the hair salon you're so right that it's exactly as much time as that gag needs um and peretti and beatriz are hilarious <laughs> i 
the torture on I want a perm is so good. She's so funny uh, saying that preposterous thing. Um, I would say another hallmark of any good show, and this one in particular, is that you can pair up any two characters and give them a plot to do together and it will work. And that's certainly true here. This is the most we've seen Jake and Kevin spend together. And the two of them have such amazing comic chemistry. Again, so right about Mark Evan Jackson, the dry as dust delivery, the best straight man, I'm going to say on television right now in both of his recurring roles. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. Um, he's just a genius. He's so funny. And when I remembered that this was the episode where they go to the library dressed as perverts, I was like, yeah, <laughs> just like waiting for their costumes. So much specificity into their creepiness, like where they even found those clothes. I do not know, but I do not care. Because... With with the Donovan joint from Zodiac. Like, yeah, oh. it's brilliant. <laughs> so like, good. it's just brilliant. Um, and and referring to Holt and Kevin's love language is a brilliant way to put it. And when 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 we find out that uh, uh, Holt thinks that Jake has witnessed a blistering fight between them because <laughs> Kevin slithered out of the room saying, "You'll have to excuse me and not please excuse me." Um, you might I mean, as it's well just spit in my face. <laughs> yeah, That's my favorite line. It's beautifully observed. The characters are are at this point like so well drawn and and they get so much out of them without it being cartoony in a way that, you know, that no, no one on the show, although maybe Scully and Hitchcock come close. No one on the show is like the the caricatures that the people on for example the office became toward the end. Like it's still so smart and sharp. Well, they're in um, that they're in that sweet spot with a long-running sitcom where they've establish where they want to go with their main cast and mm-hmm. now they have the freedom to play with character pairings and yeah and that sort of thing and that's what's sort of happening at this point in the series I and mean, we're starting to get a lot more of that and it pays 
you know, big dividend. Yeah. And to Linda's point too, like they have an, they have an amazing secondary cast of guest stars um, that they're able to use to great advantage. Obviously Mark Evan Jackson here. And you mentioned Craig Robinson as the, the Pontiac bandit who keeps coming back every season. <laughs> wonderfully. Um, yeah. It's such a rich world. I love Brooklyn nine, nine. It's, it's for sure. One of the best that comes on television right now. And this was an excellent choice and an excellent presentation. Thank you so much, Sarah. Uh, I don't really have much to add. Um, I will say that this is, there's some, first of all, congratulations on not just running the entire episode, which is what I would have <laughs> mm-hmm. done. Like I just gave up after I covered two pages with quotes. I was like, I can probably stop now. Um, I shot a watermelon once. Uh, it really is brilliant, but the timing is, the timing is flawless. There's a, there's, um, a couple of exchanges like the way it's edited between the stakeout van and Rosa inside yes. that are so good. Um, Holt being like, I can't hear you, Kevin, you're dead. And then people like <laughs> s- storming out of conversations, like on the floor, uh, just like elbowing their way. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and then when they're having the raid viewing party, that doesn't end up happening. Um, there's an exchange that, uh, um, Jake is like, oh, thank God, actual human people who aren't Kevin. And then he's like raving on and, uh, and he's like, uh, babe, you're being weird. Just the way it's paced and directed and then cut together is like, it's just this flawless, perfectly pitched ear for what is funny, how much of it is funny, how these people are funny. Um, I have a higher tolerance for boil pepper than than most i think but if we're not going to be talking about his like pizza fold hold thing i'm fine with it i'm fine with it being uh-huh. not too much in uh in this episode um and there are just so many like throwaway lines that going back to dave's sort of complaint about trial and error they're given just enough time for you to be like ha! and then they're on they're on to the next thing and yeah yeah so i just fast. really um I just really admire that. And then having the opportunity to look at this and then just like talking about it for the canon, flip it over and look at, at how it's made and just marvel at the uh, craftsmanship. Uh, it it was a delight. Uh, I'm always happy to, I'm way behind on regular viewing of the show, but comes up for the canon every now and then. And I always resolve to get back to it. And one day, one day I will. Um, and I don't know. This perm saved your life. Like, (laughs) I think when she says you look like you look like Phil Spector when he was on trial. (laughs) When he was on trial, like not just Phil Spector. Phil Spector when he was on trial. That I was like, God damn, that's good. That's good shit. I'm never going to top that shit. Uh, Yeah, the excellent presentation. And again, I don't know how you didn't clip the whole episode, which is what I would have done, Dave. Uh, yeah, not a lot left. Uh, I agree with everything said so far. I will say that I think even though we talked about it for like two minutes, we undersold the perv entrance. Yeah, oh, uh, yes. Also that, yeah. that song, like it just, it all like came together. It was just perfect. The, you know, the, the sunglasses with sort of the, the yellow brown tint, like everything was yep. just <laughs> And Sandberg has on. like the, Sandberg has like the one sweatpant leg up. Yeah. For- <laughs> Yeah. And then later, another example of the timing I was talking about, he's like painstakingly ripping off his fake mustache, but then immediately after whimpering about that, drops back down to fake Nick Cage register. <laughs> it's an excellent bit of business by Samberg. I, I well think done. one of them was wearing a jacket that had like that 
horizontal strap with the grommet clasp on it that yes. goes across. Members like, only jacket. Yeah, <laughs> um, perfect. Just it was just pitch perfect. I, I forgot that they did that, and I was cracking up so hard when it came on. Um, but I will in the in the in this rewatch, and this is probably like the fourth or fifth time I've seen this episode because we've done Brooklyn Nine Nine rewatches quite a bit. The one throwaway line that made me laugh the most was um, Sandberg referring to a handful of his favorite Nick Cage film as Master Pie. Yeah. <laughs> Which I am going to liberally borrow on yeah, this podcast from now Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider 2. Yeah, is Master Both Pie. Master Pie. What yeah. do you think would be Kevin's least favorite Nick Cage film? Like oh, for man. me... I mean, there's a lot of like there's bad Nick Cage films like Season of the Witch, and then there's like terrible conceptual films like Face Off. Um, but I looked through his um, his filmography and I spotted that he was a voice on G Force, the talking oh. hamster guinea pig movie. Boy. That that might be one to try Kevin with. Uh, that might be one. To... I think yeah. Kevin would hate Con Air the most. I don't think it's... he would care for Peggy Sue got married. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really sad for him that he didn't get to watch adaptation because it is actually good. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only other thing that nobody mentioned that I thought was great, you mentioned Jackson's uh, shuffle exit, but Holtz also has a signature exit. He only uses one leg to move one up. <laughs> yes, like yes. an injured frog or something. Like it was, it was very distinctive. Like, like you know, like how cartoons they use you know silhouette so you can identify the character well these guys have like silhouette walks it was amazing um yeah great episode really funny i think linda nailed it with her five reasons why i can't argue with any of them and i also liked the sort of mission impossible-esque opening just the mechanics of it as they're uh you know aping his look shuffling kevin off under toner you know uh containers and stuff like that and getting him yeah. into the van it was just like a fun little cold open uh you know not diane you know not we uh, no infection yeah. great but yeah. but you know it was it, it was it was pretty interesting professor yeah. student <laughs> um, all right so i say it's time to put this to a vote let's start with tara ariana yay sorry bunting kevin can't wait to put this in the cannon <laughs> and i have this to say about it <laughs> i love it <laughs> <laughs> All right, that means Brooklyn Nine-Nine Season 5, Episode 12, Safe House. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Cannon. Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. No. Nope. It's time for Winner and Loser of the Week, and I'll do the winner, and that is, apparently, it's happening, it's official, that Deadwood is coming back for a wrap-up movie on hbo was this something they announced at tca linda uh yes or uh, yes but i wasn't here yet but yes okay. uh did they give people cans of peaches to celebrate because if not lost <laughs> lost opportunity <laughs> um this is like probably the sixth or seventh time that the media has reported that deadwood is definitely coming back this seems like it's the one that hbo was put their their stamp on and said yes and now if they don't do it there's egg in everybody's face so i want to believe this one i'm like 90 percent <laughs> the way to believing this one but you know we'll see I, I i just feel like yeah like like this is actually 
was never meant to happen. Not that I don't want it to happen, but I just feel like fate was always working against the Deadwood reunion film. So I'm hopeful. Uh, so winner of the week uh, are the Hoopleheads of uh, Deadwood. <laughs> I think it's funny how many, I mean, I know it hasn't been that long since the show ended, but like we've been watching the Larry Sanders show and that didn't go off super long ago either. And it's remarkable how many of those people are dead now. <laughs> Whereas like the whole, God has preserved the whole Deadwood cast. Even the ones who were like pretty For old now. when it started. I feel like as soon as they deliver this movie, like half of them are just going to die. Like this, <laughs> this is what they've been. I think it's going to start like the first day of principal shooting. Actually, somebody is going to get like principally shot and that's going to be it. Like, I what? just think the universe doesn't want it, but we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, I, one character, uh, will not be joining us as Richardson. Uh, that actor did die. Uh, oh, yes. In between. So I assume that's how the show is going to start with a giant funeral for <laughs> Richardson. The for town everyone's weirdo. favorite character, Richardson. Yeah. All right. Uh, loser oh. league. Uh, hashtag band networks. Uh, we've got a trifecta here. Uh, AMC reinstated uh, Chris Hardwick after a quote investigation quote cleared him as to allegations made by his ex. Uh, I believe this investigation was conducted by like his in-laws. Yeah. It's by a, a law firm that has done a lot of work for the Hearst corporation. And Chris Hardwick is married to a Hearst heiress. Mm, Hashtag Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, CBS has to now act like they didn't know Les Moonves was accused of sexual misconduct going back years, which I find difficult to believe, meaning I don't believe it. I believe his accusers. And uh, after all that about Claire Foy's back pay on The Crown, Netflix apparently has never given her the back pay. So all y'all pull it together. Yeah. Uh, all right. Speaking of getting it together, do you know what time <laughs> it is? Game time. Yeah, it's game time. Oh. All right, everybody. This is the fifth game time of the season. The scores are Tara 3, Value Guess 1. Sarah still looking to get on the board. Today we are playing... What are we playing, guys? Oh. We're playing Trough TV from Dan oh. Casino. Who earns himself and... an extra credit, redeemable for an extra hot great mini topic of his choosing. He writes, everyone remembers the great shows of peak TV, but what about the lost classics of trough TV with their terrible premises, writing, acting, and effects? In this game, you'll be given a category and a list of three terrible TV shows, generally with a, a short description. Your job is to pick out the fake show. Oh, <laughs> there are 36 questions, Casino. each worth one point divided into three rounds. There are no hints. I love You're it. I'm going to read them all. Oh, you guess which one's the fake one. You get the point or you don't. All right. All right. Uh, what's the steel meal situation here, Tara? Thank you for asking, Dave. Sarah Debunting has two steel meals. I have one steel meal. Valued guests used all of their steel meals. Okay, but they did oh, win. Sure. It, was, it was for a good Lane reason. Lane David Roth. <laughs> he used it last Oh, jeez. Victorious David Roth, so commend him yes. on his use. Yes. All right, so let's throw it to Picky to see who is going first today. Whoops. <laughs> we will start with Tara. All right, we're going to start with uh, Tara, then we're going to go Sarah, then Linda. Are we ready to play Trough TV? 
Yes, Indeed. Sir. Here we go. Starting with Tara. It's round one. We've got 12 questions revolving around scripted shows. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. Tara. Shows in which a cop is partnered with a robot other than almost human. Oh, no. <laughs> Man okay. and Machine, Dick Wolf series about a cop partnered with a robot. Uh-huh. NYPD 2032, future set series about a cop partnered with a robot. Uh-huh. And Holmes and Yo-Yo, weirdly racist 1970s series about a car cop partnered with a robot. Oh, What's I'm going to guess Holmes, Holmes and Yo-Yo was ahead of its time. <laughs> you are wrong. Oh, wow. That is true show. Holmes never, and... never bet against the slightly racist show having the existed. 70s. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> your, your fake show, NYPD uh, 2032. Man and Machine and Homes and Yo-Yo actual shows. All right, no okay. points there. Uh, oh yeah, left on that, left off that list uh, because we talked about a future cop with uh, Ernest Borgnine. As, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so we're to Sarah, and it's TV shows based on Casablanca. All right, mm-hmm. all right. Simply Casablanca, an hour long in which Rick clashes with Soviet spies. Casablanca, a high profile remake with Hector Alonso. As Captain Renault and Ray Liotta as the bartender. You mean Elizondo? Everybody, everybody comes to Rick's, a cheapo version that technically licensed the play the movie was based on rather than the film, and so couldn't use any elements that have been in the movie. Which is the fake one? Casablanca 1, Casablanca 2, or Everybody Comes to Rick's? Uh, I think it's Casablanca 1. Casablanca, that uh, Soviet spy thriller, 1955, ABC. Wow. Okay. NBC 83 was the other Casablanca. Everybody Comes to Rick was the casino original. It was the fake oh, casino. Well, yes. All right. No points so far. Can Linda take the lead here with super vehicle shows? Super vehicles. Super cab about a former cop who fights crime with his tricked out taxi. Super carrier. A military drama about pilots aboard the USS Georgetown, or Super Train, which was Love Boat on a nuclear-powered cross-country train. (laughs) Okay, Super Train's definitely real. (laughs) So it's between the other two. I'm going to go with Super Cab. Super Cab is the fake show? Yes. Good job, Linda. Fun fact, when it came out, Super Train was amongst the most expensive shows ever made and almost bankrupted NBC. <laughs> wow. Yay. All right. Linda on the board. Back to Tara. Nice work. Short-lived sitcoms that want you to know they're about women. Okay. Babes, about three <laughs> overweight sisters sharing an apartment in New York. Ugh. Dames, about three upper-class British transplants who share an apartment in New York. Or princesses, about three young women sharing an apartment in New York. Uh, babes, know, dames, and princesses. I, I know babes is real. I think princess is real, so I'm going to say dames is the fake. The upper uh, British class transplants, fake. You're correct. All right. Good job, Tara. Sarah. T-Bone. <laughs> Thank there you. There you go. Syndicated shows based on horror franchises. Okay. Freddy's Nightmares, colon, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. <laughs> Friday the 13th, the series. John Carpenter Presents Halloween, the series. I am pretty sure I have heard of the first and the last. So the middle one, I believe. Friday is the, the 13th, the series? Yes. 
Oh, that's yeah. real. It had nothing to do with Friday the 13th, but it was a real series. It was huh. sort of like an X-Files. Uh, two people have to go around collecting cursed artifacts. I believe that sure, was the show. Sure. Uh, John Carpenter presents Halloween the series was never a series. That's too oh. bad. Would have been good, probably. Speaking of uh, movies to TV, TV versions of Paul Verhoeven movies. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Number one, Robocop the series, sanitized CanCon version of the movies. <laughs> uh, Total Recall 2070, low budget sanitized CanCon version of the film. Or Basic Instinct the series, sanitized <laughs> CanCon <laughs> anthology inspired by the film. Anthology? Oh, God. Yeah. This is, this is me, right? Yeah, RoboCop, Total Recall, 2070, Basic Instinct, the series are your choices. Uh, I don't think there is such of a thing as a sanitized CanCon Basic Instinct, so I'm going to say Basic Instinct. Yeah, <laughs> you are correct. All I right. mean, if there's if there's underpants, there's no show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bite a nickel. That that that's the pull quote. Revivals <laughs> of classic shows. Revivals okay. of classic shows for Tara. What's mm-hmm. happening now? The New Adventures of Mr. Ed, The New Monkeys. Mm. Oh, boy. Well, I know. What's happening now? The Shit. New I was about to say, I know Mr. The New Ed. Monkeys is real, but now I'm not confident uh-huh. about that. I'm going to say, head. I'm going to say what's happening now is the fake. Oh, that's real. <laughs> Uh, that syndicated 85 to 88. Uh, the okay. New Monkeys syndicated 1987. The New Adventures of Mr. Ed never happened. Mm. Never happened. Okay. Ridiculous cop shows. That would be trying shows. to beat a dead horse. Ma, Go ahead. <laughs> Get out. Ridiculous cop shows that thankfully never got past their pilots. All right. Oh. Real pilots. Two of them are. One is not. God. Pochinsky. Puchinsky. Excuse me. Puchinsky. Starring the voice of Peter Boyle as a Chicago cop reincarnated as a flatulent bulldog who continues to fight crime. Mm-hmm. Steal justice. About a cop who could magically turn his dead son's robot dinosaur toy into a giant fire-breathing robot to help him fight crime. Or <laughs> Totem and Pole, a series about cop Antoinette Pole who teams up with an ancient Native American shapeshifter to fight crime in the Pacific Northwest. Oh Puchinski, Steel Justice, Totem and Pole. Wow. Um, I think Puchinski actually happened. Totem and Pole... I'm going through this whole journey of like, it sounds so stupid and <laughs> fake that it has to be real, but how, that's just what Casino wants me to think. How old, how old does Totem a pole pilot have to be to be on the wrong side of history where they Honestly, can actually get away with it? Yeah. But that's the calculus. Um, not that old, actually. Uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. say that that is... God. I think that steel, whatever it was, is the fake. Uh, magically turn his dead son's robot dinosaur toy into a f- giant fire-breathing robot to help fight crime? You think that's fake? I got news for I, you. Mm. It's not. That was a real pilot. <laughs> Totem a pole was the fake one. Totem a pole. Casino! We actually See? almost had a TV show about flatulent bulldogs and uh, giant dinosaur crime-fighting robots. I mean, I can't believe I actually remembered that one vaguely. I was going to say, I think it's I funny do... that we were all kind of like, I know Puchinski was real. Yeah, and the reason is, of course, if Peter Boyle is voicing the dog, it's a bulldog who farts. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <obviously. laughs> yeah. Unnecessary shows based on movies. <laughs> 
the Beverly Hill Chihuahua Mysteries with Kieran Shipka. Is that that? Correct? Kiernan. Kiernan Shipka in the Piper uh, Pirabo role. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show with Peter, Peter Scalarly in the lead. And Police Academy, the series. Unnecessary shows based on movies. Two real, one's not. Beverly Hills Chihuahua Mysteries. You are correct. That was the fake nice. one. More unnecessary shows based on movies. Mm-hmm. The Craft, Path of the Witch, about a young woman trying to use her supernatural powers to redeem herself. Sure. The Crow, Stairway to Heaven, about a dead street musician trying to redeem himself. Okay. Highlander, The Raven, about an immortal Scottish lady trying to redeem herself. Oh, what? man. This is Dirty Pool from our friend Dan Casino, Casino Noise, because I know there were Highlander. Sh- I feel like there was more than one Highlander show, but I don't know if that was it. I'm going to. Damn you. The craft passed. Highlander the Raven is the fake. <laughs> I believe uh, the craft path of the witch is charmed. I think that was the thing that came out of the craft, isn't it? Uh, okay. And that kind of thing. That is the fake one. The craft path of the witch never yeah, I knew happened. The crow one was real. Yeah. Okay. Who needs a title when you got a star? The Brian Ben Ben show, in which Ben Ben stars as a new news anchor replacing a colleague killed by a gorilla. The Judith Light show. Co-starred Andrew Dice Clay and won a Humanitas Prize despite only airing for four episodes. The Mike <laughs> O'Malley Show, which co-starred Will Arnett and Kate Walsh. A Humanitas Prize. <laughs> okay, um, I'm pretty sure Ben Ben is real, and I think the last one is real. So, uh, middle one. The Judith Light Show, starring Andrew Dice Clay. Yes. Won a prize. You are correct. Yes. Oh, thank God. If that really right. existed. Last question of round one, guys. Cops and dogs. Cops and dogs. <laughs> Cats and dog. A CanCon series about a cop partnered with a dog, rebranded as a Rin Tin Tin series in some countries. Nuts and Bolts in 2025. A rookie cop in Winnipeg is partnered with a robot dog. Tequila and Bonetti, co-starring Mariska Hargitay, about a New York cop who relocates to L.A. and gets a dog named Tequila. For a partner. Okay. The last one's definitely real. Tequila and Benetti's real. Um what are the what are the the first yeah, one? We got, why we got, why am I why am I trying to answer questions about Canada? Um We got cats and dogs, and that's K-A-T-T-S and dog. Okay. And, uh, you know, a lot of this shit comes from Canada, so we, we can't help it. We just make this. Why wouldn't you stuff. spell it cats with a Z okay? That was the one that was rebranded as Rin Tin Tin. Oh, okay. So it's cats and dog. And what's the second one? Nuts and bolts in 2025 about a rookie cop of Winnipeg partner with a robot dog. <laughs> I'm going to go with the uh, the robot dog is fake. The robot dog, nuts and bolts in 2025. <laughs> yeah, that's fake. All right. Cats that's... and dog was on for like a long it was, time. I remember that show being on TV. <laughs> I'm sad to, uh, sad to say. Yeah. All right. Score break, please. Well, Linda is running away with this thing. She has four points. Sarah and I are tied with one. <laughs> I'm so right. happy to even have one. I can't even tell you. But guys, it's time for the Gross Worthy Cholester Challenge. <gasps> now, because you guys are tied, you both get to work together to split the points. So if you get uh, three of these six Trivial Pursuit questions right, you will both get a point. You get a point. Yes. Okay. 
classics, starting with classics. What 50s sitcom never ranked worse than third in, in its original six-year run? 50s sitcom. Honey, honeymooners? Sure. Mm. I love, I love Lucy. Lucy. God damn it, Lucy. <laughs> Sitcoms. What sitcom came under fire for having black ex-con Anthony Bouvier doing menial jobs for four white women in Atlanta? <laughs> Designing, Designing women. women. Yeah. <laughs> Drama. Where did Paho keep his knife? Can you spell that, please? Yeah, P A H O O. Paho. Pahu? Pahu, yeah, probably. Uh, and yeah. I mean, in where his did Pahu belt, keep his right? knife? On his, on his, like you know, on his body. Where was? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. What do you think, Sarah? Um, I think I think it was in his boot. All right. Guys, you're not thinking racist enough. It was in his headdress. headdress. Oh. <laughs> kids, kids and games. What show's first episode took extra time to shoot after Richard Simmons' horse threw him when he was spooked by a badger? <laughs> well, you know, first okay, of all, here's, here's why the deal. hasn't someone if, made a TV movie about it? Is hang question. on. If you get the answer correct, the game ends now and you both win the series from here to eternity. Go. <laughs> Okay. Don't like our chances, Sarah. Um, what could it be that would have a live action Richard Simmons for children? Mm. <laughs> Whoops. That was just psychic me predicting. I mean, there was a like celebrity rodeo, but he was not on it. All right, I'm going to give you a hint. Okay. One word in the title is a Canadian territory. Yukon Jack. Yeah, no. Sergeant Preston of the Yukons. What? Yeah. All right, so you got to get these last two starting uh, right now with stars. What cowgirl was just Francis Octavia Smith to friends in Uvalde, Texas? U-V-A-L-D-E? I only know one TV cowgirl, and it's Dale Evans. Sure. Okay. All right, this is it. The wild card. What cereal did the animated monkey Coco push in TV ads? Coco. Cho- Co- it's chocolate Rice Krispies, but I can't remember what it's called. Coco Crisp? Wait, I'm sorry. Dave, can you read it again? It's not What Coco TV Crisp. cereal did the animated monkey Coco push in TV ads? Monkey? Monkey. Animated monkey Coco. Okay, maybe it is Coco Crisp. Wait, TV Bees. cereal like C E R E. Oh yeah, yeah, like like yeah, yeah, yeah. breakfast like in food. an ad. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, I think confusing it's... it with the toucan. You're right, Tara. It's, okay, what's your co- answer, please, Tara? I'm going to say what's Cocoa Krispies. Cocoa Krispies. That was the first time you said the correct. You said Cocoa Crisp. Cocoa this. Yeah, finally said Cocoa Krispies. Cocoa Krispies. So that gives Tara and Sarah one additional point. So quickly Thanks, scores. I thank my lifelong love of cereal for that one. Scores, please. Oh, uh, Sarah and I are now, are, we're still tied, but we have two points. Sarah, uh, Linda still has. All right. Two point spread going into round two reality shows. Reality oh. shows. Starting with Tara. Yep. Ill-advised celebrity-based shows. Which one is the fake one? The Hasselhoffs, Thick of the Night, with an E, Thick, mm-hmm. yep. Yuri Geller, Family Magic. <laughs> Yuri Geller, Family Magic. That's good for a point. You. Do you know that Richard Belzer was a regular on Thick of the Night? No, but that makes What a sense. show. 
Inexplicable oh, game shows. Inexplicable yes. game shows. Celebrity name game hosted by Craig Ferguson. Celebrity pet matchup in which players have to figure out which pet goes with which C-list celebrity. Trump card, which featured appearances from Donald Trump. Uh, Who's the I president Trump... now, Case? Just see. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is my only escape. Um, I'm going to say that one's the fake one. Trump card. Trump card. Mm. What's real? Syndicated. Mm. Ran for one year. Boy. Also running syndicated celebrity name game, which means celebrity pet matchup was. Uh, it your sounded too show. fake. I need to. I need to align my thinking. <laughs> Linda X Holmes. Yes. Reality shows built around pixelated nudity. <laughs> oh sure. Born in the wild, in which women actually give birth in the wild, away from hygiene or medical technology. Isolation room, in which contestants are put nude into an empty blank room, and the last one to push a button to be let out wins. <laughs> My bear lady, in which an adult film actress, oh, sorry, in which adult film actresses take acting lessons from West End veterans. Lord in the Wild, Isolation Room, My Bear Lady. <laughs> Shit. I'm going to say uh, Isolation Room. Isolation yeah, Room, is. you are correct. I, I watched Born in the Wild and it was harrowing. Yeah. I was going to say, Born in the Wild is the one I was pretty sure was It was real. not that long ago, yeah. It was. Yeah. 2015 on Lifetime. And my bear lady was Fox Reality Channel Rip 2006. All right. Plastic surgery reality shows. Mm. Great. Oh. Yep. Bridal Plasty, in which mm -hmm. engaged women compete to have plastic surgeries. The winner got her whole list of procedures. Real. I want a famous face <laughs> in which young people get plastic surgeries to make themselves look like celebrities. Watched it. Real. <laughs> <laughs> Total Makeover LA, <laughs> in which aspiring models compete for plastic surgery and the most, uh, uh, it doesn't really matter. You got the point. All right. Number 17. Spread Eagle. Thank you. More ill-advised celebrity-based shows. John's new chapter, which follows John Goslin's post-divorce search for love. Cocktails, that's with a K, with Chloe, a talk show hosted by Dark Kardashian. What would Ryan Lochte do following the notoriously dim Olympian? I believe the Chloe one is fake. That's Watch real. That, that was one too. <laughs> FYI in 2016. John's new chapter is the fake one, but I can't really. It wasn't there really like 12 real. 12 series based mm -hmm. on that yeah, train wreck. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Shows about tiny houses. <laughs> Tiny oh, House, Big Reno, Tiny House Nation, or Tiny House World? Tiny House, Big Reno, Tiny House sure Nation. Tiny House Nation is real. Tiny House World. Tiny House, Big Reno sounds real, but I don't, don't know. I'm going to say Tiny House Big I'm going to say Tiny House World is not real. Mm. Damn it! Uh, Get this. My guess tiny, too. tiny House Nation, and I 
assume the bigger and better show, Tiny House World, are both on FYI. They're both currently airing. One started in 14. One started in 15. You know what happened right there? I did not trust myself. Yeah. That's what happened. All right. This I mean, is... the thing about the title Tiny House Big Rano is how big can it be? Well, that's the thing. That's what I was thinking. But then I thought, who would just write a question st- that was just like two things that have basically the same name plus another made up thing? You know yeah, what? This, is, this, this is what too. people at home heard. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's the thing about that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> figure it out for yourselves, people. Get 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 know, the audio sorry. you know equipment out. You know, figure out what they were saying. It might have been talking about you. <laughs> Shows about little people. Little chocolatiers about little people who own a chocolate shop. Sure. Little people, tiny house about little people <laughs> yep. looking for tiny houses. Yeah. Seven little Johnsons about a large chaotic family of little people. Um, okay. That one is real. So it's either the chocolatiers or the tiny houses. And both of them are so plausible. I'm going to say ch- chocolatiers is fake. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Little Chocolatiers ran for two seasons on TLC. Wow, of course it yeah. did. Uh, all right, moving on. Gay panic-based dating shows. Gay oh, panic-based dating shows. Cool. Boy meets boy, bachelor-style dating show for gay men, except half the men vying for him are actually straight men trying to win a cash prize. The cool. Gaydar Challenge, in which straight men try to convince a gay man that they're gay in order to win a cash prize. Playing it straight, Bachelorette-style dating show, but with a straight woman trying to figure out which of her suitors are gay. Boy meets boy, Gator challenge, playing it straight. Which one's um, not real? The first one I'm pretty sure is real. The second one sounds so horrible that I'm pretty sure it also is real. So I'm going to say playing it straight is the fake one. Damn it! Boy meets boy was Bravo what? 2003. Playing it straight was Fox 2004, making Gator Challenge your fake show. Casino. Man. Terrible ideas for reality shows. (laughs) (laughs) He's a lady in which macho contestants have to carry out feminine activities to win a cash prize. Wedding night challenge in which which just married couples compete in theoretical sexy challenges to win dream honeymoons. Who's Your Daddy, in which adopted children have to identify their biological father from a lineup of eight oh. strangers to win a cash prize. Oh, oh God. God. Come on, society. Who's your, daddy? Who's your Daddy was real. So oh. real and so wrong. Um. So you got, he's yeah, a lady. Wedding and, night. Yeah. Wedding night challenge. And what's the other one? Uh, wedding night challenge. Oh, he's a lady. He's a lady. Uh, I'm going to go with wedding night challenge. You are correct. Nice. He's a lady. <laughs> TBS 2014. Wow, that is recent. Way too late for Way such a thing. Way too late for that. I'm sorry. Was it a? Was it? Was that an extension of uh, Friends? <laughs> I thought it wasn't there a, a dude looks like a lady show too or something like Probably. that. Probably. Yeah, that used the Aerosmith song. That's there. Probably. Launching off point. Celebrity based home improvement shows, guys. Celebrity based oh. home improvement shows. <laughs> the Adam Carolla Project. Mm-hmm. Home improvement shows. Yep. Emerald's Big Build. Mm-hmm. I Pity the Tool, starring <laughs> Mr. T. <laughs> Shit. I know the, I believe the Adam Carolla project is real. 
Ooh. Then you could have anyone Emerald? resist making I pity the tool just so they could call it that? Mm. Uh, so I'm going like to say I pity the tool is fake. Mm. No! <laughs> Emerald's big build is fake. I pity the tool uh, starring Mr. T. I think I, I did something for the site when it was announced. Uh, apparently might have never aired in the U.S. So I might just oh, okay. have aired but foreign markets. Yeah, yeah. But it was going to, and perhaps it didn't. But uh, Celebrity Home Improvement Show's Rap Edition. Oh. The Vanilla Ice Project. <laughs> Real. Renovation Biz with Biz Marquee. Rev Runs Renovation. Oh, this is tough. Sir Mix-a-Lot just had a special last I was hoping too. it was going to be in the Sir Mix-a-Lot for you for exactly oh, is that sing a song about yeah. big buttresses? Uh, <laughs> he does say he uh, likes... He likes big houses, and he cannot. Mm, and he looked disgusted boo. with himself, and then dropped a hammer instead of the mic. Um, <laughs> this was a thing that happened. All right, so um, recap your choices: the Vanilla Ice Project, Renovation Biz with Biz Marquee, and Rev Runs Renovation. Oh, I think Biz Marquee is fake. You are correct. Right. Yay! All right, four Dave points. Everybody can guess how many years. Has the Vanilla Ice Project been going on? Sarah knows this for a fact. Yes, I they do. Just covered so I re- it on Mastex. I recuse myself. Okay, it is present. Is it presently on the air? When did it start? Take a guess. I, uh, oh, the year? Yeah. I believe they said on Mastex that it was it was in season eight, which would make the first year 20, 2010, I guess. Yep, twenty ten. Yeah, crazy. Jeez. Wow. All right, I'll give you a Dave point for that. Thanks, Mastex. Yet more celebrity home improvement shows. <laughs> Bridget's Kitchen Do-Over with Bridget Nielsen. The, Pin- the Bronson Pinchot Project. Wow. The Shatner Project starring William Shatner. Oh, my God. How are two of those real? Oh. So, wait. Br- Bridget Nielsen. Yeah. Bridget Nielsen, uh, Bronson Pinchot. Bronson Pinchot. And Shatner Project. And Shatner. Which I really hope is all about toilets. And like bathroom renovation. <laughs> uh, I will say uh, uh, Bronson Pinchot. Oh, in fact, Brigitte's kitchen do over is fake. Oh, oh my! Well, the good thing is I was never going to say that because so so I wasn't close. I was between uh, Pinchot and Shatner. Yeah. So. Sad note about the actual uh, your choice is after the show was canceled, the houses that were being worked on were seized by the bank for non-payment. So oh, oh man. double cancellation there on that show. All right, everybody's last round two question coming up. Okay, Mister T has bills to pay. Don't be a fool. A game show in which Mister T berates contestants who miss obvious questions. I pity the fool in which Mr. T motivates slackers world's craziest fools, a UK clip show hosted by Mr. T. (laughs) Why do I say the first one is fake? Don't be a fool. A game show is correct. And Mr. T is not going to bury people. He's going to build them up. Yep. That's his thing. Mm -hmm. Not quite the bachelor. The littlest groom in which, which is just the bachelor with a little person. Mr. Personality, hosted by Monica Lewinsky, which is just the bachelorette, but all the men are wearing eyes wide shut masks. Second Chances, is, which is the bachelorette, but with Amy Fisher in the first set of episodes and Lorena Bobbitt in the second. Hmm. 
Oh, this is good use of detail, Dan Casino. Uh, I think Mr. Personality is fake. No, <laughs> that's a famous one. Uh, oh. That is real, as is the littlest groom. Second chances that I knew. with Fisher and Bobbitt is Well, I'm glad one. that's fake. Yeah. Glad to be wrong. Bring us uh, to the conclusion of round two. Investigation discovery shows that even Sarah Bunting shouldn't watch. Oh, God. <laughs> Evil godparents about crimes committed by godparents. <laughs> Evil stepmothers about crimes committed by stepmothers. Evil twins about crimes involving twins. It's <laughs> amazing. And Sarah's like, challenge accepted. I will watch them all. Evil godparents, evil stepparents. Evil twins. Evil twins. I will say evil godparents. Correct. Yeah. Evil stepmothers started in 2016, still going strong. Unfortunately, somehow, evil twins, which seems like the more compelling uh, concept, only lasted one season in 2012. Mm. Mm. All right. That is round two. Tara, let's get a handle on the scores. Okay. Still, Linda is slaughtering us both with seven points. I have five points. Sarah has three points. All right. So that means Sarah D. Bunting. If you get this right, you can catch up to Tara for second place. Here we go. On, Classics. Tara. What show saw Morticia say of her Adobe? For abode? Hey, you know Did what? You say Adobe? Way <laughs> too much time playing with Adobe software. Sorry, guys. That was just my brain. <laughs> I'm what show sure was Morticia is, Adams on is the this question. This is the Adams family, I think. <laughs> uh, the correct answer was Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fair. Adams family. Sitcom. What 70s sitcom had its theme chirp Shamil Shamazel, Hassan Pfeffer Incorporated? Laverne and Shirley. Yeah! Drama. What character does Jamie Summers team up with? For the 1989 made-for-TV movie, The Bionic Showdown. What character? Oh, gosh. What character does she team up with? Uh, yeah. I assume the Bionic Man. Yeah, sure. Can you give me an actual character name? Just oh. to make this official. What's his name? His real name? Steve Austin. <laughs> All right. That gives you the point. Now, if you run it, you get double. All right, so you could yep. actually get into time first place if you get the next three. Kids and games, what color are the Smurfs? <laughs> are you joking? Yeah, Pantone the color. <laughs> <laughs> Adobe. Uh, Adobe know, Pantone color swatch. Cerule. Uh, they're blue. <laughs> Stars. What law series did the Partridge family's cute kid Susan Day graduate to in the 1980s? Is this card a joke? L.A. Law. <laughs> All right. Wild card. Get this and you're in a tie for first place. What cable network did NBC hire news anchor Mary Alice Williams from in 1989? Cable network did NBC hire news anchor Williams from in 89? Really tempted to say Skinamax, but I'm going to say CNN instead. Guess what? You just ran the card. Sarah! Did you that make means that card? Sarah. So sitchy. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a weirdly easy card. But hey, that's I the was way waiting it goes. for that last one to be like ESPN or something. But wow, good job, Sarah. Uh, Linda just texted me that she's really Joking. mad about this. <laughs> 
I deny it. <laughs> no, I she deny did it. not. Uh, round three, guys. Kids shows and cartoons. We have nine questions left. So everybody's got right. three point opportunities here. Got it. Cartoons based on 90s music. Okay. <laughs> cool as Ice, in which a Real. cartoon Vanilla Ice helps kids deal with social problems <gasps> featuring live segments of the singer. Hammerman, an MC Hammer-based superhero cartoon that featured like segments of magic shoes talking to an audience. Yeah. New Kids on the Block, which didn't actually have the voices of the band members involved. Well, shit. I... I know the new case one is real, and but both of the other ones sound so plausible too. Oh God, I'm gonna say the vanilla ice one is fake now. I changed my mind. Phew. You're correct. Hammerman was real. Yep. Yeah. I remember Hammerman. Animated versions of R-rated movies. Animated versions of R-rated movies. RoboCop the animated series. <laughs> Rough Roughnecks Starship Trooper Chronicles. Time Cop Adventures in Time. Oh, boy, that is hard. That is a tough one. And I think the fake one is RoboCop. Oh, no. RoboCop was real. Syndicated 1988. Roughneck Starship Trooper Chronicles. I remember that one because I knew somebody who worked on it. That was 1997. It was like a 3D animated garbage show. Time Cop Adventures of Time was fake, although Time Cop did get a live action series. The live action series had home spaces and Ron Livingston as Elliot Ness. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Amazing. All right. Linda Holmes. Shows based on terrible toys. <laughs> the Amazing Live Sea Monkeys, a live action Howie Mandel series about sea monkeys grown to human size. Eight Ball Magic, about kids who can use a Magic 8 Ball toy to actually tell the future but can only speak in riddles. Rubik, the amazing cube about a Rubik's cube that comes to life and grants wishes when it is solved. I am going to say the Rubik's cube show. Mm, it's a real, real. Show. I watched that. It ran for two seasons as well yeah. on ABC 83 to 84. Sea monkeys also. I mean, real. I could have answered what show Susan day was on. Yeah. <laughs> that text was real guys. All right. TV versions of movies. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, a kid's animated series. <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons, a sitcom version of the movie with mm -hmm. Bruce Davidson in the John Lithgow role. Real. Home Alone, the animated series about the further adventures of Kevin. Uh, Killer Tomatoes is the fake. Killer's mm. Tomatoes is not the fake. Home Alone Mother is the fake. Motherfucker. Home Alone is the fake. All right. This category is called Space. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Picky. The Boxcar Children in Space. <laughs> Gilligan's Planet. <clears throat> Josie and the Pussycats in Space. Josie and the Pussycats is fake. <laughs> it's the Boxcar Children in Space. I have ah. no idea what that is referring to or means. Anybody fill me in? Good job. Fooled me. Does that mean anything to anybody? No. Okay, good. Boxcar Children is a, it's a book, I think, but I know. Oh, okay. it. It's a book series. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, more inexplicable cartoons. More inexplicable cartoons. Dumb and Dumber, based on the movie. Ah. Where's Waldo, based on the picture book. 
Who Let the Dogs Out based on based on a toy line that was based on the song? I'm going to say Who Let the Dogs Out. You would be correct. Hey. Yeah. So I was going to par- say I pretty much knew the first two were real. So. Yeah. Apparently the Where's Waldo show would pause the screen to let kids look for Waldo now and then. What a great oh, cost-saving measure. Like, <laughs> no animation for, like, 20 seconds, guys. Just look for Waldo, uh, you stupid SOBs. All right. Score break, please. Uh, okay. Um, Linda still will lead with eight points. Sarah has seven. I have six. All right. Seven to eight to six. One question left. Oh. Here we go. Cartoons that are legally not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay. <laughs> Biker Mice from Mars, Samurai Pizza Cats, Sewer Sharks. I believe the last one is fake. You're correct. Ooh. All right. This is a must get, Sarah. Yeah. 1997 cartoons about kids fighting monsters. Okay. Mummies Alive. That's what's an exclamation point you ask? Sure is. Mummies Alive, in which kids have to battle against evil mummies terrorizing San Francisco. Eh, mm-hmm. you know, is it really worth... Eh. Typical. Yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> Don't try too hard. Mission Burrito. Um, the, teacher, <laughs> the teacher from the Black Lagoon, in which kids have to battle supernatural creatures terrorizing their school. Uh, van Pyres, Van Pyres, in which kids have to battle against evil vans terrorizing other cars at night. That sounds completely fake. So it's probably the real one. So, uh, all right. Mummy's I'm... Alive teacher from the Black Lagoon, Van Pyres. It sounds so... <laughs> Fuck. Dan Casino, you evil genius. Okay, uh, I'm going to say that the fake one is the teacher from the Black Lagoon. Oh! <laughs> All right, that puts you in a tie for first, but Linda could win it with a correct answer here in our last dun, regulation dun, question. Dun. Good luck, everybody. Your category, Linda Holmes, is kid versions of Sherlock Holmes. The what? Ad- the Adventures of Shirley Holmes. And guess what? CanCon series about a girl in Winnipeg Matching wits with Molly Hardy, cancels because the lead hit puberty. Sherlock Bones, a cartoon in which a dog detective is actually responsible for solving his policeman owner's cases. And finally, we have Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century, a cartoon in which Holmes is revived to face a cloned Moriarty and Watson is a robot. So to recap... We got Shirley Holmes, we got Sherlock Bones, and we got Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. Is real. Your fake show. Your fake show is Sherlock Bones. A cartoon dog detective. Sherlock Bones is the one I was sure was real. I thought I actually had heard of it. That is amazing. We have a tie. That means we I'm have to go offended. to our tiebreaker between Linda Holmes, Sarah D. Bunting. Good luck, everybody. Good luck. Linda. The tiebreaker is described as such. Anyone who creates a lot of shows will have a lot of flops. Tell me whether each of the shows named was produced by Dick Wolf, Stephen J. Cannell, or Stephen Bochco. Brooklyn South. 
Oh. Trough TV, Brooklyn South came from who? Botchko. Botchko, correct. Civil Wars. Civil Wars. Uh, oh, shit. Marielle Hemingway. Um, what? She knows of it. Uh, Ashko Wolf Canal. I'll say... Uh, I'll say Canal. Spotco. Spotco. Uh, that so means Sarah debunting. You have pulled the victory from the fire. Congratulations, Sarah. Thank you. Sarah. Sarah. Uh, so Sarah. let's just read off the wolf ones because thank you, all... Susan Day, for that. <laughs> cold, cold, cold justice, conviction, yeah. deadline. Yep. Nasty boys. Oh, oh boy. Night watch. E. And of course, Aforementioned Swift Justice. Swift Justice. Boy, boy. Nice. Well, well played, guys. That was, that was fun. Job, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dan. Well, Indeed. that is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We expertly assembled our thoughts on the crafty debut of Making It before going around the dial with stops at Queer Eye, Kids Baking Champion, the Bletchley Circle Golden Mission Burrito, and Trial and Error. <laughs> Linda confined us to a small space to listen to her winning cannon pitch for Brooklyn Nine-Nine's uh, safe room, safe house. And we crowned winners and losers of the week. And Sarah D. Bunting was the winner of this week's game time. Thank you, creators of Trivial Pursuit. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Remember. We're listening. Ah. Oh, just another update. Got another text update. Linda Holmes writes, if you ever do the Trivial Pursuit question tiebreaker again, I'm never coming on the show. That wow. is not true. <laughs> no, not true. <laughs> she was, I, it's I, just, you know, Alan's, I, I was hanging out with with our friend Alan Seppenwall, and he told me that it was my job to go out and win game time for valued guests <laughs> everywhere. And now I've disappointed him. I've disappointed everyone. I'm just saying. You're not disappointed. But you did lose Never. game time. We're all, we're all just trying to get on the board again. We'll see you next Tara. time on the track rate. Gorgeous. I love it. This has been a production of the Previously.tv podcast network.